1: Hurricane Michael stormed ashore in the Florida Panhandle earlier this month. Lives were upended and changed forever. Millions watched the full fury of the hurricane unfold live on their screens. And today we are joined by three of the field reporters and meteorologists that covered the storm. The Weather Channel meteorologist Stephanie Abrams, Jen Corfagno, and Chris Bruin. We hear the stories as they take us through the before, during, and after of live coverage of a Category 4 hurricane. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and this is the Weather Geeks podcast. Thank you all for joining us. It's nice good to be hey, here. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a good discussion. So, you know, it's a, it's a good discussion. This was a storm that really has impacted lives from Florida to Georgia, and you were all in the midst of it. So uh, I guess um, perhaps start with what happens in terms of once you get dispatched uh, to go out and cover the storm. What happens? Steph, lucky you like well, you have a thought on that. Well,
0: a lot of people that. ask, oh, how do you know who gets sent, who gets sent first, who gets sent where? A lot of it's just scheduling, you know, depending on what show you're on, who's in town. That's kind of how it starts. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we, we're looking
2: at the cone. We're looking at putting people in the in the point, uh, uh, potentially of landfall, but also some of those outer reaching effects too. So we go outside of the cone sometimes because we know the impacts go outside of the cone.
1: Right. So you there is sort of a strategy yeah. to how people are placed Absolutely. based on where the cone and is. And inland as well, right? I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. you
0: know, for our show, for instance, depending on we were when we were all in town, Jim was at the coast and Jen was inland. I was on a different shoot. So they had to wait for me to get back. I did a show and then went in. I think I was last actually uh, really to get in there.
1: Yeah. And then Chris, talking about her, Hurricane Michael. I know, now where were you sent for this particular coverage?
3: I was in Panama City Beach. It's interesting because when they're going through that process in my mind, I'm always thinking, okay, where are some pots that they may send me? But a lot of times it's never what I think I'm going to go. Uh, But this time it ended up being towards Panama City Beach and the track forecast, at least um, the location of where they thought the center was going to go was pretty spot on. Spot from on. The, from the I,
1: I, I tweeted something the other day showing the track versus projections. But one of the interesting things I understand is when you were sent down to Panama, say at the time that you were sort of dispatched, yeah. you were thinking this was a cat one storm. Or yeah. I remember
3: seeing the national weather services official track on Sunday. I was in church and I remember getting the text and saying that uh, oh, we need you to um, go I down. I don't think
0: you should be texting your, checking your text. Yeah. In church. <laughs> but
3: well, that's another Originally, I thought I was going to cover winter weather, <laughs> right. so I was expecting a text to go to Montana or something so, like that. So
2: you, so you but were still sort of,
1: texting you, in I, church. Yeah, yeah. Yes, just, just being responsible, but yeah, you yeah, know, you're going to have to, well, you'll have to cover
3: that with a higher power yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just glanced down. That's uh, uh, how it ended up right? I but I saw but that they wanted me to be live on Monday morning, so I like uh, booked my flight out of Atlanta. Wanted to get down at a decent time since we had morning live shots in Panama City Beach and. At that point, you know, I thought it was going to be a strong tropical storm, maybe cat one, maybe cat two. But that was kind of on the higher end. So I didn't bring any of the stuff you would typically bring as a meteorologist in the field for, you know, major hurricanes. Like what? Like uh, propane, fuel canisters. Um, I am a big camper. So a lot of times if you're a camper, you can really uh, be on the the better half when you do lose power because you can cook meals with, um, you know, jet boils and uh little camping stoves and things like that so typically I always bring that just in in advance of if we lose power if we lose water and I probably would have drove down there to get all that stuff down there if I thought it was going to be strong that's what we ended up doing in Florence Um, but you know, I didn't think that was going to happen. And obviously if you fly, you can't bring those things. So, uh, it was very limited. Honestly, I got down there and I didn't even think I was going to have to worry about getting water or any of that. You know, I thought it was just going to be, you know, I had my, I thought businesses were going to primarily stay open for the most part. We are close enough to other areas where we could get food. So that, in the back of mind, I didn't really think twice about that. And I remember my producer was like, Oh, maybe you should go get some water. That night I went to Publix and I remember being on the phone and that was when everyone started getting the word that there was a potential tropical. I think everyone on the flight was like, oh, we'll wait till tomorrow, see what happens. Check in in the morning, and then we'll decide to see what we do. That's what a lot of people were saying. A lot of people that were on vacation for the weekend, that were going back home to Panama City, they're all kind of thinking along those lines. Yes. Yeah.
1: so four meteorologists sitting around the table talking right now, and we just mentioned – at that point, mm-hmm. Sunday, Cat 1, Cat 2 was sort Which, of on the radar.
0: Yeah, but I would say, still, if you're in the eye wall of a Cat 1, you need all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know? no, that,
1: exactly. But what, where I wanted to go with this, and I wanted all of your thoughts on this, what are your thoughts on the messaging? Because there are all of these sort of post-analysis now compared to Florence, and we, we talked earlier yeah. on, an, on an episode of AMHQ about this. With Florence, there was all this lead-up time, yeah. weeks of discussion. But there was enough time for people to make decisions mm-hmm. with Michael, too, but I think Some people feel like they were caught off guard. Well, it it was a
2: shortened amount of time. This is the case with October hurricanes is that you you have less time because most often they form close to home. And so that's just inherent. You know, there's 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 less days in place for the track for it to move in. Um, And we do know that with every hurricane, it's an evolving situation. You can't look at the forecast and then come back five days later and expect it to not have changed. It's, It's going to update as we get new information. We learn more things about the atmosphere. In this case, we were watching very closely the amount of shear in the Gulf of Mexico. And the question was, was there going to be a window without any shear? And it turned out that there was a large window. But
0: um on Sunday and even on Monday there was still that question
2: Yeah, yeah. and
1: there was plenty of warm water yeah. Too. yeah I was
0: gonna say I just get I get frustrated because any science whether it's talking about you know when you're going to your doctor when you're talking about meteorology when you're talking about you know astronomy it, none of it is perfected and people all of a sudden for some reason feel like oh they said the cone the strength this is what it's gonna be that is not how science works right. so I would like to dispel that and get into you have to pay attention when there's a storm whether it's a hurricane or another storm it's just not perfect
1: yeah. From your experiences, are there, when you talk to people there, when you go out on site, are there these thresholds that people oh, need sure. before they decide to uh, go? I say mm-hmm. Floridians
0: say, oh, you know, cat three, I'll stay through a cat three and I would leave. It's a cat four or five. That's kind of the gist that I yeah. get from people. I think
2: a lot of people, you know, would rather be at home without power than in, in you know, another location right. without power or, but, you know, but the risk is life, right? What is your risk to your life and livelihood? And a Cat
0: 3 eyewall, even a Cat 1 eyewall, which went through floors, a Cat 3 eyewall is different than being you know, uh, even five miles out of the eyewall. Your experience is going to be tremendously different. I try to emphasize, if you're in that eyewall, watch out. And we
3: saw that in the aftermath, like Panama City Beach, you know, it looked like a hurricane came through and then you go to Panama City and it looked like a tornado went through. Right,
1: exactly. And so yeah, this is really an interesting point because, you know, and I think Stephanie, you may mentioned this to me earlier in the day, we have known for some times in the meteorological community that the track forecasts are better than the intensity forecast. For and sure. I think this is another case where that that bears out. I, I've often said, for Michael, this is about as good as we could have expected for the forecast given where the science is. But one of our models did snip it out mm-hmm. a little bit, the h mm-hmm. uh, which is a mesoscale model. It has better physics and things about it. But I think most of us didn't trust it.
2: Can I, can I actually use this chance to talk about something that's Please. been on my mind after? Um, and and after Florence, too, is why do we not have a range of intensity forecast? We give a range in the cone, that hmm. cone of uncertainty. Um, obviously, there's a midpoint, and and that is the forecast, you know, for the point of landfall. But we we have that cone of uncertainty, knowing that there's inherent error in the forecast based on the average errors from the past five years. So why don't we offer up that sort of cone of uncertainty in intensity or that range of uncertainty it's in intensity? That's, a, that's an interesting point. Any other thoughts on well, that?
3: Uh, well, along with that, why don't we give ranges instead just on wind specific? We saw in Florence, like, you know, it was a cat one, but look at the death toll. I yeah. mean, it was still higher than Michael. Yeah.
0: I think it's a complicated process. I think that in the end, getting a range of the cone, a range for the winds, a range for the surge, it is a very complex process. And we're doing that now with these surge forecasts to try to give a better forecast. So, you know, hopefully we will give some sort of range. Yeah.
1: That's an interesting point. I think I, I one of the big challenges people often ask, well, why are the intensity forecasts more challenging? Than the track forecast. Well, the, you know, the track forecast is governed a lot about the synoptic meteorology, the steering currents, yeah. where the high pressure is. Whereas these intensification processes, it's what's going on in the eye wall, the inner, the microphysics. I also think and- we
0: forget being meteorologists and doing this for as many years as we have. You know, what, um, you know, just a, a person who's not a meteorologist, how much they can absorb, how much they can understand. And of course, it's our job to articulate and, you know, make sure that they're getting that information. But it's a lot. It's overwhelming, I think, to somebody who's not a Meteorologist, it's like when I go to the doctors, I get overwhelmed by all the information to them. It's very simple yeah. to me. I'm asking 1400 questions and I'm still like, Wait, what just happened? Yeah. You know, yeah. and have to ask again. Simple. So I think that, you know, well, we even have to take when that. it comes to
3: storm surge, I can't tell you how many people ask me, What does 12 feet of storm surge mean? Like, what does that mean? Like, yeah, how far up does that go people on the coast?
1: Don't, yeah, that's a great point. But I think with some of the new graphics coming out of the Weather Channel, some of this augmented reality, mm-hmm. virtual reality type things that our Weather Geeks executive producer Mike Chesterfield and other colleagues are involved with, I think people have positive feedback on those because they kind of see it. But I want to kind of pivot back to something you said, Stephanie, about CAT 3 versus CAT 4, because that was kind of one of the things that I was talking about. You know, by Monday, I think it was pretty evident this thing was going to be a major, yes. even yeah. if it was going to be a CAT 3. Yeah. Yeah. In my mind, I'm going to respond to a CAT 3 in the same way that I do a CAT 4. Yep. Uh, but, yeah. but But, there, but I, maybe I, not
2: everybody would. But And that's the yeah. point.
1: I think other people have different thresholds. Now, Jen, you actually flew over I believe, and saw some mm-hmm. of the damage. Yeah. What, just this, what what were your impressions as someone that's been through and seen a lot of storm damage?
2: Well, so we left Tallahassee. I was with the Customs and Border Protection. Um, it was a group from Detroit that came down and they took us on an aerial tour because at this point, this was Friday, I took this aerial tour. It was very difficult to get into Mexico Beach. Uh, and so they brought us in over the air. We were able to land on the beach so I could get on the ground and see the damage firsthand. And it was a, just from the air, it was very dramatic. And you, you went, you saw some damage to complete damage Uh, and so there definitely was a gradient between where the the true cat 4 damage was and when you get out into cat 3 cat 2 type winds and we know that the core of the worst winds um, is going to be confined to that eye wall and um, not everyone is going to feel cat 4 but you have to prepare like you are, right? Because what if there's a wobble in the track? Right. And then all of a sudden you shift I it. Left, yeah. right? And Right. That's yeah. I yeah. I wanted to kid because yeah. so Let me
1: set this up, Snap. because the word on the street is you don't scare easily no. in these situations. That's <laughs> no. the word on the street.
0: It is. That's true.
1: But you left.
0: I did. This first time why? I think I've ever actually left a storm. I was in Ike with the land. I mean, I, because here's what happened. When I was planning to go out on Tuesday, we actually were going to stay in Mexico Beach. And I could not find, we could not find a structure that I felt okay, even taking a Cat 3 in, right on the beach, Highway 98, from the, all the experience I've had at 15 years being at the Weather Channel, I know even, I thought of Ike in the Bolivar Peninsula, which was a Cat 2 at landfall, and they were wiped out from the surge. I knew that if this just went over to Panama City, that surge alone right there on Highway 98 would have taken us out because that's where we found homes. And then just structurally, I was iffy. So we went over to Port St. Joe where we found a house that was 24 feet off the ground. I was like, okay, I feel safe here, even with the Cat 3, with the water rise and everything. It was built in 2014. It had the latest and greatest of everything. But then when I saw that coming in as a Cat, for and the potential, like Jen just mentioned about that little wobble, if it had wobbled in St. Joe and not Mexico beach was in that eye wall, I'm not sure we would have made it there. And that's what did it for me is I guess it's my experience and my knowledge that it was literally highway 98. We were on highway 98 and I am glad I picked up my crew. We, We finished our live shots early and I told our producers, I called back to work. We had talked to other meteorologists. I was like, guys, we're out. Like, if this eyewall goes over Port St. Joe, I don't care when this house was built. I know what it's like when the water's coming right off the water. I was fine with the wave and surge and everything, but just structurally, a Cat 4, maybe Cat 5 eyewall. No, I know what Andrew did. I know what all these storms did. It's not It's not worth it. There's These are people's lives and lives. Are you I was out.
1: And just a little context on your experience. Not only do you have experience just covering these storms, you grew up or spent quite a bit yeah, of time in Florida. in Florida, in South Florida. Yeah,
0: and Hurricane Andrew is actually one of the reasons I went into uh, meteorology, Um, you know, as a kid and it came ashore and I saw the damage after and I thought, how in the world did wind and, you know, rain cause this? So I saw it firsthand in Andrew when I was a kid and then just being here for 15 years, the damage from, even I thought back to Florence, I was like, that was a cat one. I could barely stand up at times with some of the gusts. No way am I going to be on Highway 98. I think it's irresponsible to do that. It's not worth the risk. It's just not. Right.
1: Any other thoughts from you in terms of just your initial experience? Chris, being
3: in the storm. It was, uh, so we were in a brand new hotel. Stephanie ended up coming yeah, up. Yeah, I came over to beach. where they okay. all were yeah. because
0: it was like, you know, a huge solid, huge even sub- if the eyewall yeah. went, So how many know,
3: weather channel we had sort of like meteorologists five, were within five crews. that? I, I mean, there was so, a yeah. good 20. 20. Employees. Because there's not
0: a lot of cities you see in between, mm-hmm. you know, like Panama City, even over towards Apalachicola, you'd have to go farther than that. So yeah. that was kind of the nearest big city with sturdy structures right. that we all felt comfortable right.
3: in. Yeah. And then I remember, I mean, we were in the eye wall, or probably we were more so in the outer eye wall where we had maybe 100 mile per hour guests at the worst of it. Um, but even the sliding glass doors at the lobby were shaking. I don't know. You were probably outside during yeah. that. Uh, but I remember we were all just kind of hunkering down and you would see they had, you know, new fences that all got panels that got blown out. I mean, if you got hit. By that, you're looking at you yeah. Know, the, the roof
0: hospital. of the hotel next to us started to tear away. Wow. You know, oh, I saw so, that. And yeah. then
3: um, some of the other high rises lost windows. I mean, we ended up not having much in the way of. Structural damage, but all the rooms on the opposite of the ocean all had water damage. Right. Two inches of standing water inside the hotel rooms. And
0: we weren't even in the eye wall. And that was right? just from the well, rain. That,
3: oh, no, yeah. that, that was actually not even in the eye wall. And I want
1: to actually kind of pivot over to Jen because you were in Tallahassee, Florida, mm-hmm. and I, I spent a lot of time in Tallahassee, Florida as well. And in a sense, Tallahassee was on the eastern fringe of the storm. oh, spared the worst. Spared the worst, but still significant Mm -hmm. damage, power outages, trees all over. I've seen some of the the pictures. Mm -hmm.
2: Ninety percent of the town was without power the next day, and you know, it it doesn't take even a Cat One hurricane to cause. You can have strong tropical storm winds for an extended period of time, which we had in Tallahassee to cause all those trees to come down and to cause those widespread power outages. Yeah, we went to Tallahassee because we wanted to focus on the inland impacts, and we know when we you know show up in City people notice, right? The Weather Channel is there, so things could could be, you know, could go be bad. Um, We also knew that there was a chance Tallahassee would be on those, you know, eastern fringes of it, but. There was, what, 400,000 uh, power outages overall, and we had about 120,000 of yeah. them. So a big population were affected um, in Tallahassee. Now, they're able to get their power back on much quicker, not like cities like Mariana, which it's going to take oh, a week I, yeah, or a an, month. In, yeah, in the, in
1: the city in the panhandle. Yeah. But even kind of illustrates the point. Florida State University, Florida mm-hmm. A&M, state government closed down days mm-hmm. before. Well,
0: imagine that eye wall. It was still a Cat 3, wasn't it, into when Georgia? Georgia, which
3: Georgia, I didn't Georgia. even yeah. know so about until so after the fact. could
0: have yes. gotten it that took that track. It, if it had shifted a little to the right and that's what we have to watch out for and there's no meteorologist that can tell you exactly where that's all going to happen so we try to cover a wide area and the other
2: thing was a lot of people evacuated to Tallahassee so when you evacuate you you usually leave for the the surge right and you leave to get out of that that core of the strongest of the winds Um, but you don't usually have to go that far away so it's not like you have to leave Panama City Beach or Mexico Beach and go to Ohio right you just go inland and so a lot of people evacuated to Tallahassee shelters were full hotels were full um, guests People had guests in their homes. Uh, And so we know that a lot of people that were there were not just residents who lost power. Now it's people who escaped the hurricane who are without power as well. Yeah, we
1: actually, one of the University of Georgia weather stations in Donaldsonville, Georgia, down in southwest Georgia, uh, 110 mile per hour wind gusts recorded inland in Georgia. Yeah. so
0: doesn't it, surprise me. I, we saw trees snapped. Well, and I, I drove um, because I was going in Tuesday and we wanted we knew that there'd be nothing left on the shelves. Okay. So we packed up the car. You know, it is not glamorous for us. There's no, no. hair and makeup out there. I've been asked that before or my <laughs> sister. Someone asked my sister once. It was like, no, 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 no. Like we're literally not showering for days. If we do end up having water at a hotel, which we did for like a day or two, mm-hmm. it's freezing cold.
3: Or you have to boil water. or you Right, and there's boil it. water. Yes.
0: So we were using, I was using bottled water to brush my teeth in the morning, Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, we drove all the way down there with all of our food and water because it's just like, and I think that it makes me, I've always said this, and I'm sure they'll agree, I have become a much better meteorologist over all these years because I've experienced the fires, the floods, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, so I know what the people are going through, Mm -hmm. I can be more compassionate, and I also know what they need and what they don't need
2: type of a thing. What I think...
3: you want to go ahead, Jen? Well, I just,
2: I want to say not just a better meteorologist, but a better communicator too yeah, about absolutely. how it's going to, how it's going to play out.
3: Well, I feel like so many people decide evacuating based on the storm. And a lot of people are driven to the curiosity and yeah, it's exciting to witness, uh, you know, a power like, you know, a hurricane, but it's also dangerous to put your lives at risk. And I don't think people understand every time people ask me, especially vacationers, there were so many vacationers when I was down there, they're like, "Hey, okay, should I leave? And I was telling them, look, is going to be dangerous. And if you leave, they felt safe. They were on the high floor. Like let's say they're on the 20th floor of a condo. I was like, "Look, do you realize you're gonna have to go up and down those stairs? You're gonna have power. You're, nothing's gonna be open. You may not have water, and and then, of course, we lost all the cell service. So it was, you know, p- people don't understand how long that can go on. They think it's going to be a day, and then their vacation Imagine will living right in the back up. Mm-hmm. Every time the sun yeah. goes
0: down, you That's know, it, it was we're so using dark yeah. you
3: could see the Milky Way in yeah, Panama it, right, City,
1: yeah. right? Because there's no light pollution, no light. All the light, and certainly our our fellow citizens down in Puerto Rico certainly mm-hmm. know a lot about yeah. that for months um, of being without power.
2: How, how often do people ask you guys, should I really leave? So we, we go in time. and most of the time we're in an evacuation zone. And so you should leave because you're in an evacuation zone. But That's people say, say, they they'd sort of wink at me. They said, but should I really leave? And I say, yes, there's yeah. a mandatory evacuation. Yeah, yes,
1: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome back to the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Jen Carvagno, Stephanie Abrams, and Chris Bruin. And we're talking about their experiences covering Hurricane Michael in the midst of the storm. Now, I want to go a place that's going to be a little tricky, but there's criticism of this type of coverage when you're Mm -hmm. on site covering. There are people that are writing about it, tweeting about it. Um, I want to get your thoughts. I mean, you know, reporters go into war zones and cover yep. wars, and it's it's important. It's journalistic integrity. But what do you say to someone that says, well, why is Stephanie out there? Why is Jim or Chris yep. out there? Stephanie, what, what do you well, say? Well, to- I
0: say, first of all, we're meteorologists. We are degreed meteorologists. We all have bachelors of science, at least in meteorology. Yes. So we know the weather. And I remember back in Ike, there was a re- Porter and, and they were standing up there trying to discuss the weather. I'm like, no, that's wrong. Like, I know what's going to happen. I know that this side's going to flood or that side's going to flood because I know the weather. So I'm knowledgeable of that. I know to leave because it's irresponsible to be in a category four eyewall, you know? So I know the weather. When there gets too much debris outside, I go inside. You know, there was um, several hurricanes where the debris starts flying and I say, I'm out. And the Weather Channel backs us 100% on any of that. So, so there, f-
1: there's no pressure at all. No. They, they're very much in back, backing. 100
0: safety first a hundred percent they that is uh, uh, absolutely Um, and so I have the knowledge of what's going to happen and the reality is is we know the chances we take and we know what we're doing and that's that's what we decide you know and if that's not right for you that's fine. And if you don't want to watch it because you think it's irresponsible or everything, that's fine that you don't have to watch it. And and that's it, right? I mean, you, you have the right not to go in there and you have the right not to watch it.
1: Yeah, but I I'm, I'm the point is, I think that in other situations that aren't weather related, journalists go into dangerous zones mm-hmm. to get the story. And that's just the function Well, a, function and of a lot of
3: times the people who are watching are people who live there and have evacuated. They want to know what's going on in their city. And they're, they're usually the first outlook is like the weather channel. They can see images right right during the storm instead of waiting to two days later when the pictures come out, like we, you know, back in the, you know, 50s when we didn't have, you know.
2: I think your comparison of going into a war zone is, is, a, is a good one because it's, it's showing people what's happening during the heat of the battle or the, you know, the worst of the storm. Um, and it gets people's attention too, just from a, a warning standpoint. If you think about even before the storm hits, when we go to a city, people take notice. And I think a lot of times it helps people take, make preparations, yeah. evacuate if they need to. And so it raises that awareness. So there's that importance. And then during the storm, people have this just inherent curiosity yeah. about the worst of mother nature. And if we can show it to them safely, because again, the Steph said, we are, we are not taking a lot of risks. Honestly, we are, as shelters can be, our cameras have to be sheltered. So there's that too, right? So we're making sure that uh, we can keep the signal on the air. And then afterwards, we're there. We wouldn't necessarily be able to get back in to show what happened if we weren't already there. And, and, you know... People here at headquarters are trying to get as much information as possible, but there's nothing like a firsthand report and account of what's happening, that, and we the, can be there for that. that.
1: That's actually a really good point about this notion of being there, So, because the post story is just as important as what's mm-hmm. going on, perhaps even more so, because you're in a sort of a recovery and a life-saving mode at that point. Uh, but I did see a couple of cases where I saw some irresponsible chasing going on with this particular storm. And so I guess the question that I worry about is, you, Stephanie, you started the discussion, you're professionals, you know what we're doing, mm-hmm. but I see people out there doing some things they aren't professionals. Even some of the reporters that are covering this aren't meteorologists so they may not know some things mm-hmm, yeah. about sort of some of the turbulent flow or some things that may be happening on a corner of a building that you all may like, have insight I would on. feel
0: uncomfortable going to a war zone so I'm not going to go to a war zone right. because I don't know how to act or what you're supposed to do. Yeah. In these situations, again, I've been at the Weather Channel chasing storms for 15 years. You know, I have a lot of experience and so I'm as comfortable as I can be and when I'm not comfortable like I was in this storm, then I left to go to a safer place so you know my big issue with this criticism is if you don't want to be in the storm you don't have to go in the storm you know i'm taking full responsibility for myself and my crew by the way which is a lot of pressure which is another reason i left if these storm chasers want to go in i mean you know what can i do
1: yeah that's a great point now now again chris i mean you all have been doing this a bit longer i think you're of the 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 newbie newbie Mm -hmm. at the round table here um Talk to me about what your. I mean, once this thing came through and now we're kind of, and what you saw, storm. I know he
0: had, you know, it was tough for you
1: Yeah, because I, you I, had never seen anything like right, that. Like you know, yeah. And that's hand. where I'm going. I wanted to know, I mean, or so someone is seeing something, this level of destruction from a mm-hmm. storm, what were your initial thoughts and impressions?
3: You know, um, growing up, I, I remember seeing the coverage of Hurricane Katrina. Um, I was too young to remember Andrew, um, but I, you know, seen the images, certainly, and I thought, I remember doing a spring uh, tornado coverage in Arkansas, and I saw F2 damage uh, that hit maybe five structures, and I was just amazed at what it did to a shed. I mean, no one got hurt, and I was just amazed at the power of the pine trees shaved at the base, and then you go to the aftermath of Hurricane Michael, and we actually drove down through Panama City and then got to Mexico Beach, and just driving you couldn't drive a block without having to avoid an obstacle of some sort, whether it be power lines, whether it be trees. I can't tell you how, you know, the, they have huge acreages of pine forest, pine log forests, And I would say about 80% of it is gone every single tree was bent over. It's like, like being in a movie. Ripped. It's the only way to it describe really it. Is. I remember
0: after Katrina specifically with the stuff we saw after Katrina, Cantori and I were sitting there and I was like, Cantori, I feel like I'm in a movie because there's no way way else to describe what has yeah. happened. Like it's that, I hate using the word unbelievable, but is that unbelievable it what is. you're seeing yeah. <laughs> that you have to be in a movie because there's no way this could have happened.
2: I right. felt the same way when we landed on the ground there in Mexico beach and I had seen the pictures literally just hours before. I've been looking at some of the aerial surveys, but then when when i saw it with my eyes and on the ground for the first time it's like this can't be real this is yeah. it is it was just so devastated and, I think and
3: it was shocking to see how much you see tornado damage in, you know, a, a small very area. small area. But this was like that, the whole Miles. Big Bend, mi- uh, you know, the whole drive from Panama City all the way to Mexico Beach. And I can imagine we couldn't get any further. But I can imagine to Port St. Joe and then even Appalachia, it looked like that. for That's a 90-mile stretch.
1: Well, and that was actually a question I wanted to ask all of you, particularly you two, because you were closer to the coast at the event. Because we knew going into this event that this particular part of Florida is already vulnerable to mm-hmm. storm surge because of the shape of the coastline and also the continent. And shelf in the way it kind of slopes off. Um, From your perspective, was it the wind damage or the storm surge damage that the damage that Mexico Beach really took more of a hit of or or both?
3: So Mexico Beach, both. Panama City, though, just as strong of winds on the western eye wall. And it shows you how symmetrical the storm was that the west and east eye wall were pretty symmetrical with those wind gusts i mean it was just as equivalent wind damage in panama city as we saw mexico beach but they had the surge that panama city did not And the
0: wave action on top it's not necessarily the surge per se because if the water rose up nicely and then went back down it wouldn't have
3: moved structures off their foundation the
0: fact that it's always that wave action on top that beats these houses and wipes them off of their
1: right Jen, jen talk to me about what happens Post storm, or maybe even pre and pre and uh, during storm as well. I mean, if someone mentioned this. Are people, city officials, others coming to you, the Weather Channel, relying on what you're reporting or your resources trying to get information? Or Do you find that that happens during these live coverage? We
2: we have a great relationship with with most city officials, and we have good conversations. But there's also a fantastic network of emergency managers, and they're working with the National Weather Service. They're getting information from the National Hurricane Center, and that that official forecast is used to make their – Th- their evacuation orders and and their plans for where they're going to set up shelters, etc. But it's it's always a group conversation, and I feel like the meteorological um, community in general shares information really well. And and so the conversations, no doubt, you know, influence influence their decisions. But I think they make their decisions based on the National Hurricane Center and the National Weather Service
1: forecasts. Has there been a situation, perhaps not in this storm, but where you've been scared?
2: Hurricane Matthew uh, before the storm came in. But like but like Steph talked about with this storm, Hurricane Michael, when Hurricane Matthew was threatening uh, Florida coastline and, you know, we had a Cat 5 out there and I was going to Daytona Beach and the I remember the RPM model had it making a landfall right at us. And I called my producer the night before. I said, I don't know if we should stay here. I think we should go across the bridge. Um, and this was going to be my first hurricane, actually. I haven't done a lot of hurricane coverage. It's mostly you know, been tropical storms. Well, from or the other, field. From the field. I've done yeah, a ton in studio. Years, oh, 17 I'm, years no, no, 20 years. years yeah but, yeah, but yeah.
1: really right there and staring down a cat four or five storm headed towards you that's a fairly a different thing. right? it you. was a
2: very different experience and you know we we talked about it and we decided to stay given the chances that it was going to just parallel the coast but um it was awful close that night before now the morning i woke up and started our live coverage and realized you know we were going to get the western eye well, if that um and that was a bit you know, easier to take, but yeah. it's and it's important. It's an important, as Steph said, uh, decision to make because it's not just you; it's your team, it's your crew, um, right. and your and and people watch what's happening. Right? We oh, are yeah. on live TV, and so yeah. people watch to see where you well, are and how you're handling it.
3: Being a newbie in this kind of situation, I mean, I didn't when I first got down there on Sunday. I didn't see this coming, and then Monday, of course, everything changed. Um, I felt safe having all the other meteorologists at my San Mateo. Yeah, and then right. the fact that Stephanie came over on uh, Wednesday morning right. just before it made You're landfall, like, okay. I was like, okay, I feel I feel pretty good. We got Jim Cantore, we got Steph, we got the whole crew and everybody else there. So Right, right.
0: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car.
1: Welcome back to the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard, and we have a roundtable discussion about coverage of Hurricane Michael with Chris Bruin, Stephanie Abrams, and Jen Carfagno. These they were out in the field. These are degreed meteorologists, and at least one of you actually, uh, I believe you actually, well, two of you actually have spent time in that region, Florida. You uh, you grew up in Florida. You went to Florida State. Uh, actually, you were at Florida State at for Florida a while. State too. Well, she doesn't like to, she also claim went to that, okay, that's but that's another story. She's a, she's a Gator. Uh, we, I knew that was coming, but. <laughs> Uh, and I vacation there you, every you summer. Oh yeah, and, and and yeah you no, know, I know storm, that area well. You've yeah. scu- you scu- covered storms in that area mm-hmm. as well. So all very experienced with what goes on. Are there any lessons learned from your particular coverage of this storm, either meteorologically or in terms of how you would message the storm in general? Are, th- are there things that, as we reflect back?
3: I want to say from my experience, uh, just getting out there, especially on Tuesday, I remember going to the beaches of 30A, just uh, the sunset was unreal uh, right before Hurricane Michael came. So I wanted to you know, take advantage of the nice weather. And I just wanted to kind of get a, a scene for how many people left, because there were those mandatory evacuations. And with given how quick of a notice, I mean, Monday was business as usual. Tuesday, everything shut down. Wednesday, it hit. Okay. Um, I was at Rosemary Beach, Alice Beach, and those beaches there, and it looked like a ghost town. Wow. It looked like a ghost town. It looks like everyone just literally packed their bags and left. Bicycles were still parked out front of their home, uh, and there was nobody on the streets, nobody on the roads. People road. listen to
0: the evacuations. I, I will I say. Think uh-huh. so. So I will say
3: they I got the so. people, especially the visitors, out. Quickly. a lot of people and in
0: Florida say oh well you know I'll stay either one two three but after that people left I, mean, I think people, so, did Stephanie leave. I
1: agree with that and that's why I push back a little bit on this notion that oh this was people were caught off guard there was plenty of time I think and people responded I actually had some friends who their, their whole family was vacationing there in Panama City and I was saying look they might want to leave and they finally did leave but there was initial discussion about well we'll wait and see but I wanted to ask all of you because you've been there on the ground yeah. is it real that there's situations where there's this point of uh, where it's too late to leave. There's not gas. The I lines, was close. Yeah. Lines. I
0: mean, I, I like we, it was coming towards us. We had to go right then and there or we were not going to make it How was that drive over. over? It was wet. I mean, we couldn't barely see, you know, and that but I thought that was what we should do better than being in the potential eye wall of a category four. But what I will say is I always come back with guilt and I've felt this on all these big storms like this where I come back and I can take a warm shower. Mm-hmm. I can eat warm food, which makes a huge difference. You know, we're eating peanut butter and bread a warm meal, I can get in a comfortable bed, I'm in my own surroundings, and I have guilt, and I'm, I said to Jen even mm-hmm. yesterday or today, I feel, I feel it too, you know, like, what we could I have do. done better? Well, first of all, there's nothing you can do. Mother Nature is going to wipe it out, but what could we do to, you know, help more people? And sometimes the answer is this Mother Nature is going to take their homes. Like, I just feel terrible about that. And obviously, there were some deaths. And, you know, we were all discussing this earlier. I mean, we messaged mm-hmm. as best we can, but I always want to do better somehow. Yeah,
1: at the time that we're recording this podcast, I think we're up around 30, 31 yeah. uh, fatalities, yeah. which uh, unfortunately they're, uh, they're still assessing fatality and, and damage. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if that number creeps up some. But if you look at the magnitude of the destruction yeah. here, uh, I think. Uh, the meteorological community, uh, did what it could mm-hmm. do. But yeah. I can't
0: get over the guilt of these people. No. I mean, I don't, I, I don't even know how you start over. A lot of them can't afford it. We left our pallet of water. We asked, mm-hmm. do you guys want our food? Like you leave anything you can. Mm-hmm. And then, you them. know, you still, it's just, I f- always feel guilt when yeah. I get And back.
3: sometimes, um, I, I think of this one girl I met the night before the hurricane hit. her name was Karen. She came up to us and we were out late and I was like, are you going to leave? She said she had a one story home right on the beach. And she was like, well, my family's in Birmingham. I haven't decided yet. And I was like, look, you have a one-story home on the beach. Like, it's not safe to be here. Especially at that point, we knew it was going to be a major hurricane. And I was like, if the surge comes, how you, you can't even get on your roof. You'll be blown away. Like, you need to leave. And she said her family didn't care if she lived or died and so she, I gave her a hug and she just started crying. Oh, wow. She just started crying and I think, um, you know, yeah, their house may be taken away but sometimes just getting the chance to talk to these people I think is the most lasting impact. I've gotten to talk to so many people before and then after the well, star and You wonder,
0: Did you see her after by any chance? I didn't, you always I, wonder, I, right? There was
3: no way to get it. No right? I had no service. I had no way to yeah. even uh, that's the other yeah, thing yeah, really. That was the big what thing. What
0: happened to t- these people that you connected with on right. some mm-hmm. level? You right,
1: know? right. Because you, yeah, you build relationships, mm-hmm. you interact with people and then in a Situation like this, you have no cell phone coverage, coverage likely no service, and so you you're kind of in this black hole. And, and that's one of the things I emphasize why it's important to evacuate early. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I, I know that gas supply. I, I was talking to a friend mm-hmm. in Tallahassee that was saying yes, gas. Tallahassee
2: gas yeah. stations were running out of gas, yeah, and so it is important to gas up early and also not do the whole top off thing because that's what was happening. People who needed to get out of town couldn't get gas yeah. because everyone's you know topping off, filling up, and they're just not
0: ready for that kind of need and supply. And we bring in our own gas truck um, that, that goes right? around to all of our crews. Oh, yeah, wow. I put it on my Instagram and showed them get fueling us up, and they just go around. They drive around constantly to all of our crews, filling us up because you know we drive <laughs> for hours. I mean, the morning uh, after landfall, we try to get to Mexico Beach. We drove around for like four and a half hours. I mean, you're basically out of fuel. You know, mm-hmm. when you're doing that type so, of stuff. So, I
1: mean, that's an interesting point. It's something I certainly wasn't aware of. But talk about the three of you. Any other things that might surprise listeners or your Weather Channel viewers? that happen in this logistical challenge of covering a, challenge. Mm-hmm. a storm live. You've already talked about it's yeah. not glamorous. No. You no. bring your own gas truck. What are some other things uh, from your experience that might surprise we've someone? we slept, really? slept in
0: the car several times. Betta slept in the car during this one, you did know, because there's just, there was no hotel rooms when they came up, you know, to Tallahassee or something like that. But, you know, th- we, we've slept in our cars before. I did it in Katrina. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, and that has happened, I know, to many, many crews. So things like that. Yeah. yeah. I tried yeah. to actually save my my hotel room for him when I left on
2: Friday and they you know they have all the lines been coming in. They've got, you know, all the, the mm-hmm. emergency support personnel coming in. So hotel rooms are at a premium after a storm. Well
3: even yeah, in this storm, storm particularly we have to think about how are we going to get a hold of the weather channel. I didn't know what time I was up or um how are we going to call in so we know when to go live and Land things lies. like that? Oh, good point. Thank
0: goodness people still have so, landlines. Yeah, so, are you
1: using
3: satellite? But how,
1: how? are you in the situation? How are you getting? back? Yeah, to,
0: satellite phones usually are what we bring yeah. to this situation. Um, didn't quite work out with FedEx and stuff this time. So, thankfully, in our hotel, mm-hmm. we had a landline that worked. You go mm-hmm. back to the old landline; they work. And so that's what I would. I would get that's back to the did. hotel and I called them. I'm like, "All right, let's talk about our plan." It's like, "Okay, well, if you don't hear from us, then we ended know, up. Something.
3: We ended yeah. up calling through Skype because we had a little bit of mm-hmm. cell service, so we could make a call through Skype right and then get a hold of you know headquarters and figure out a plan. So that it.
1: So you just have to problem solve now. Jen, how many people when I'm looking at you in that live shot in the morning or on AMHQ, how many other people are around you? I know there's probably a cameraman. How many people typically are with it with a crew. A yeah. Crew?
2: So with your crew typically you're going to have your photographer, you're going to have a producer and then you're going to have someone doing sound. Um, and that's typically it. Maybe you have one extra person sometimes to run a sat truck if you have a sat truck, but these days most of the time we're going out with something called live view which uses cell signal to get the The signal back out, um, which by the way was real challenging in Hurricane Michael because there's no cell service uh, down there in the Panama City, Mexico Beach area, so uh, or very little anyway, and so it was very difficult to get our signal back out without a satellite truck. Um, So it's a small crew. I think on
0: that too, like we ended up getting a satellite truck. My phone was the only phone that worked due to the you know carrier situation. So everyone was using my phone, and the satellite guy has to call the satellite desk to get on the bird, as we call it, on the satellite, and then you're good to go. Um, And if you had satellite phone you could use that to, for IFB and a lot of people on Twitter I was in front of a train that had been pushed over for I, I was that. on air for I don't know four or five hours or whatever it was that morning um, and a lot of people kept saying all right enough with the train we've seen it go show us something else what people don't understand is that we have either a big truck or an SUV with a satellite on top you can't just drive just power lines like you can't like, even get under these things. but that let alone just I mean you'd have to put the truck down go set up somewhere else that takes another hour or so you know and meanwhile You've been up since two in the morning. And so, you know, where we end up parking, we, we can only show yeah. what is around us. And there's cords coming off the truck to our camera and cords coming off of the lights. So it's not like we can just and we would love to if we had the ability to do that. We would just drive around and show you everything. But we don't have that ability.
3: And,
1: yeah. And that's some really interesting sort of background logistics because I see that kind of criticism as well. But I think this is why this podcast is going to be so interesting for people to listen to to get some of this insight. Chris, mm-hmm. you had something.
3: Um, and also the traffic. It's horrendous. We wanted to go right. two miles further. But the gas lines were two miles out. It was not moving. So we just literally, the neighborhood to our right, it all looked the same, the damage as far as, you know, where we were going to go to where we were. We just ended up pulling to the neighborhood because we were we were about 30 minutes out from our live shots. We just had to park up, stand, you know, set up and just stay there wow. because the traffic wasn't moving and we would not have been able to get on TV.
1: Coming to the end of a really interesting podcast with three of my colleagues that were literally in the heat of the storm or in the midst of a, one of the, probably more destructive hurricanes we, we're going to see in the past yeah, 20 years. Sure. We're not going to see another Hurricane Michael.
0: Well, I, I mean, this is what Well, Michael will get retired. that's what I mean. Michael's the name, name right. will get tired. I mean, but what's so wild is last year we had two in Cat 4s with Irma and Harvey. And then before that, it had been since... 2004 with yeah. Charlie, and before that it had been since Hugo in 89. So this is another podcast. I'm setting you up for your next podcast, Absolutely. Dr. Marshall. Are we going to see more intense hurricanes? Well, think, are we seeing a trend towards that?
1: I think it's a conversation. We know that there's higher sea level rise, and we know the physics suggests that uh, are stronger or are more intense uh, sea surface temperatures, warmer sea surface temperatures. There's something going on with the loop current I recently were, uh, read about in the Gulf of Mexico. So I think we've got to scientifically probe that, but I think it's naive to ignore that possibility for sure. I want to get your final thoughts from each of you as you sort of put a bow on your experience with uh, Hurricane Michael. Jen, any final thoughts?
2: Yeah, both both with Florence and with Michael. Um, and, and I do think our communication was great, but I'm always looking for ways to improve. And I think, you know, one, making sure people know sort of the, the range of impacts. What is the worst case scenario, right? What is the forecast? And then could it be worse, right? And so w- talking about that in our communication beforehand and then also where to evacuate to and especially in Florence more than Michael I saw people evacuating into the areas that later flooded and so I think that in the future we can add that into um,
0: our pre-storm communication.
1: Good point Stephanie. And
0: and, you know I agree with Jen on all this stuff um, but I also just want to say like they're going to rebuild you know, it's going, we saw that we've seen the Andrews, we've seen the Katrina's, they're all rebuilt. And so I just try to te- tell people there, I know it's so hard. You get hopeless, you get depressed, like seriously depressed. Um, it, it's, it's going to get better though. Yeah. I know they can't see that right now. And sure. I understand that. And I don't blame them for that, but I, it yeah. will, I promise you, yeah. you will get better. I agree I
3: completely. Well, agree. I think of, of Greensburg, Kansas, when they got destroyed by that tornado and yeah. they came back and built a whole green city. I, I see a potential like that from a place like Mexico beach. Um, and we, you know, I I got to go to Mississippi Gulf Coast and you can barely tell a hurricane hit uh, given after all they went through with Katrina. But they are building homes stronger and sturdy. I saw that yeah. house that was like, I think, 35, 40 feet mm-hmm. on stilts. It was unreal. Yeah,
1: Very resilient home. I saw that. Oh, yeah.
3: unreal. And, uh, you know, I, I can see Mexico Beach kind of doing the same because people want to live where there's disasters it's not like no one's going to move stop back it. yeah, yeah no one's going to exactly not move back, back to Mexico beach it's beautiful it's piece a beautiful of coastline, coastline absolutely yes.
1: sure so yeah so the the lessons learned in terms of how we plan for future storms the resiliency of the homes i think another issue that really concerned me with michael is that it had been a while since that part of Florida had seen this magnitude Well, they had of never storm. seen a Cat 4. never oh, seen it was a, a Cat 4 at all. And so you've got a lot of people that have li- moved in there, some, and even people that have been there hadn't seen a Cat 4. Yeah. So I, th- I think the experiences that uh, were gained from the storm- Really right in that area, yeah. too.
0: It's like majority of the storms there were like Panama City to Pensacola.
3: Right. Yes. Yeah, Like That's, Opal, yeah. for example. Right,
0: where they're like, oh, we made it through Opal. I'm like, uh, but that didn't go through St. Joe. You right. know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like.
3: Right. So a lot of people and a lot of people compare and I know you can't compare, but a lot of people were comparing this to what Nate was last year. Right. And, and in some
1: ways that some had some similarities yeah, it had a few I, similarities, yeah. but I think your point is valid. And I think uh, that you can't compare storms. They all have their own personalities, but each one we can learn for. But more importantly, I think the coverage and information that you all are providing, I think, is beneficial. We want everyone to be safe and covering it. So these are professionals. Always keep that in mind when you see them out there and uh, don't try to mimic it. But That's where we're going to have to end. Today. Thanks, Marshall. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you. Do we do have thank to end. We do have yeah. to end, but don't, I love the deep dive. Welcome back anytime because we can really deep dive on some of these conversations on the Weather Geeks Stop podcast. i um, Dr. Marshall Shepard <laughs> from the University of Georgia, and this was the Weather Geeks podcast. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that.